I want to speak a little bit tonight about our um, heritage, lineage, and whatnot, especially because we have some guests who are unfamiliar with with our um, tradition, I assume, to some extent. And um, one of the things about our particular tradition that is worth discussing is its, uh, its literary uh, legacy and the... Uh, the idea behind um, the concept of, of revelation, which the, uh, the Hindus are uh, really quite uh, famous for, in that they have the largest or most voluminous body of um, li- literature that is said to be constituted of sacred sound, if you will, that is the uh, a great body of Eastern revelation that uh, predates the Western as a thought of revelation of Christianity and uh, the New Testament, anyway. The Old Testament's pretty old, too, but I believe the Upanishads and the Vedas from the Hindus is older. Not that older is better, but just a point of information. Um, there is an old body of Revelation, and the concept behind Revelation is worth discussing, perhaps before going into the particular texts that are so relevant to or are the heart of our tradition. Um, and I think it's, 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 a, it's a concept that's probably misunderstood, and some of these books being old are thought to be irrelevant and uh, um, collecting dust on shelves, perhaps, um, as we progress um, in modern society. Certainly there's some, some measure of progression, for that matter, and some measure of regression as well. It seems to you look at the whole thing. Uh, it's not just this myth of constantly everything is getting better by any stretch of the imagination. And old doesn't mean bad or retired, and some new ideas are worse than old ideas, and so forth. But that said, again, the principle of revelation I want to discuss about a little bit about, and I think that the central to the idea is that um, that as complex as we are as human beings on the scale of life, in comparison to other um, less complex forms of life, as complex as we are, in as much as we think about ourselves and are self-conscious or self-aware, we have a sense that there's a self, uh, perhaps more than um, that sense is developed in other species of life. We do see it now more and more, in, uh, at least by scientific observation, in in other mammals um, and and so on, where it was previously it was thought that that wasn't the case. Descartes was famous for trying to dist- for distinguishing between um, the French philosopher between uh, a, the mind and the body, but in doing so, he thought only humans had minds and a sense of self. Um, he was a little wrong about that. Yeah. But um, 
at any rate, this, this, that said, the sense of self is much more developed, it would appear, in, in human um, life, and therefore we discuss about whether it exists or not, <laughs> um, uh, whether it's a product of the mind, or excuse me, of the brain, and it's really physical, and uh, or whether, that it, whether it's actually ontologically different from the, uh, from the brain, whether it's a mind, or whether it's something even that transcends mind um, altogether. And so we philosophize, and, uh, and so and, and, and this kind of abstract thinking seems to be um, uh, exclusive to the, the human form of life, mm. abstract thought. Um, however, that said, there's, there's nothing uh, that... Um, would lead us to conclusively uh, or uh, uh, there's nothing we know that would lead us to should lead us to believe that, that we can arrive at perfect knowledge unto ourselves although we may see ourselves in comparing to other forms of life to be more capable of abstract thought and so forth and therefore we try to understand our environment, uh, our purpose, do we have a purpose, and so on and so forth. There's nothing about us that, that warrants, that, that necessarily says, that mandates that we should be able to figure everything out and understand everything. In fact, an interesting point of information is that the chimpanzee, which is thought to be very close to the human being um, in terms of its DNA, the difference between the chimpanzee and the human, in terms of DNA, is 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 is, is minuscule. Hmm? The difference is so so small. Hmm? But small differences make big differences, don't they? We would think we think that we have more capacity to think about the world abstractly than than a chimpanzee does, and to arrive at maybe a more comprehensive understanding about it, what it involves, than does a chimpanzee. Hmm? Um, so to use that example, we start to sound pretty good, but uh, <laughs> but um, we could be arguably as um, unaware of what the world is like, what matter is composed of, what consciousness is, and so on and so forth, uh, as a chimpanzee, right? Mm-hmm. For all we know, there could be other species whose DNA is a little different, makes us look like chimpanzees. <laughs> In comparison, it's quite possible. So there's nothing about us as evolved as, as we are in one sense that, that dictates or mandates that we should be able to know everything. And one of the things that we're having as humans a difficult time understanding by the present-day way of knowing that is in most in vogue, the scientific way of knowing, through the controlled experiment, and so the objective third-party way of knowing, hmm, is popular. Hmm. It's hardly the only way of knowing. First-person knowing is also 
a type of knowing. It's not in vogue right now, but it's only by first person knowing that we know that we exist. It's a subjective experience that we exist as we experience ourselves to exist. That's a private affair. We can try to share the fact that we exist the way we do and how we experience life with others, but um, it's a private. <laughs> um, so, first person subjective knowing is, is not something that should be dismissed altogether. Our whole life is based upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there we can proceed to a third person type of objective experiment for knowing other things. Mm-hmm. So, but that type of knowing is very popular. Mm-hmm. In other words, what I think about and I feel life is about, well, does it match up with what we can experiment and say life is about? And if it doesn't, we dismiss it as superstition and and so on and so forth. Um, um, but it can't be dismissed altogether. And through the third-person methodology, where we're having a difficulty understanding is is the very nature of that subjective self. What is consciousness? Hmm? Is a huge question in the uh, scientific and philosophical community. I mean, as it should be. Hmm? Um, there was a time when. It was thought in modern science that it wasn't an important issue at all, but uh, as modern science's understanding of the nature of matter is, is changing dramatically, and um, then, there, then the question of consciousness has become more, has, it, has become important. <clears throat> but in terms of trying to understand it, in a reductive sense, as a physical thing, hmm? There's, they're having much uh, difficulty. So, the idea, the principle of revelation is that there are, besides our objective way of knowing or our inner subjective, subjective way of knowing things, hmm? there may be other ways of knowing things. Hmm? Just like a chimpanzee might know things objectively and do science, by touching a fire and realizing it's hot, seeing another chimpanzee touch the fire and think, okay, must be hot, don't touch the fire. That's science, basically. It's uh, it's a little bit more hype than that, but, but everybody does it to some extent. So besides the chimpanzee doing that, the chimpanzee in some ways subjectively experiences itself that it is and what it's like to be a chimpanzee, only a chimpanzee knows. Um, so that subjective experience it has, and that and, and a kind of knowing that derives from that, and then there's an objective way of knowing as well that it's in, involved in. Hmm? But as we can see from the example of the chimpanzee, at least we think that there's more that we know objectively and subjectively about the nature of being and the nature of existence than the chimpanzee does. Hmm? So, so the idea here is that in regard to revelation, there, there's more also that, 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 that can be known about the nature of being, the nature of the subjective and the objective reality than can be derived by these two methods under themselves. Hmm? 
um, just like we could appear like a form of revelation, if you will, to a chimpanzee, I suppose, by informing them about something hmm, through some way, some method, uh, about things that they wouldn't know otherwise. We could bring things into their lives that they wouldn't know where they came from and so forth. So, hmm. so the idea is that we, as evolved as we are and complex as we are, there's no reason to believe that we're not limited in our capacity to know either objectively or subjectively, which is our two ways of knowing. And so the idea, the principle of revelation is that there's, a, there's another way of knowing. Hmm? A third way of knowing. Hmm? And um, it's kind of like we're the parts of a, an organic whole. Hmm? And as much as we are alive as a part, the organic whole is a part. If you take... Um, what was his name, who developed the, 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 the Gaia principle? Lovelock? Lovelace? The scientist who developed this idea that the Earth was an organism. Hmm? Gaia. Hmm? An organic whole, something like that. Hmm? A living thing. Hmm? So the world, it's like I'm a living being, the world it is a living thing. Something like that. And we are all the, like the cells something like that, hmm? and, uh, and interdependent and so on and so forth. So um, something like this, but an expanded idea of, of this is that, is that there, as we are intelligent, knowing, cognizant beings, there's cognizance behind the entirety of nature. Hmm? It's like there's cognizance within us, and, and at least we feel and experience life as if our physical actions are mostly or often derived from our thoughts and plans, and, 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 and uh, we, 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 we decide to do something and then we, we, we carry it out, something like that. We experience life as if there's a, there's a causation from above to down. Hmm? Um, so, so the idea is that that, that human intuition, uh, we we believe that to be accurate. Some people would say, "Oh, it's not true. There's no downward causation. Everything's actually physical." And they have these reductive attempts to to turn everything into kind of a flat Earth concept of everything's physical. There's no mind. There's no. There's nothing really called consciousness. Nothing spiritual. These are materialistic from a philosophical point of view, materialism as a philosophy, ideas that are popular in the world. They're not the way anybody feels life. They're not the way anybody experiences life. They're not the way anybody anybody can act in life. No one can act as if there's really no meaning or purpose to life, which is the conclusion of materialism as a philosophy. Materialism as a philosophy or physicalism, naturalism, the different shades of it, so forth, nuances of it, um, all have at the bottom line that there's there's no purpose or meaning to life, and uh, there's no real self. Hmm? Um, so nobody can live their life like that. Nobody can walk that kind of talk, if you will. Everybody has to live and does them as if there's meaning, purpose, if there is, as if there is a self, and so on. So 
we find these materialistic ideas to be very like the mind overworking itself, so to speak, uh, uh, the brain overworking itself, making things more complicated than they are. There's every reason to believe that our intuitive sensibilities are, are accurate. Hmm? Um, and th- there is such a thing as a mind, a psychic dimension of matter, if you will. From my perspective, there's physical matter and there's psychic matter. And then there's a self. Like we were talking the other night, we think that what we are, and this is what the revelation, Eastern Revelation says, is consciousness. And by consciousness we mean that which we refer to when we say I. I. I, as I said the other night, is the smallest word in the English language, one of the smallest ones, and it's the most used one, and it's the most misunderstood one. What am I? Hmm. So, that I am, I am always. I might think I am my body, but my body changes. Hmm? The, cell, the cells change, the mo- molecules change constantly. They're in, in flux. I could lose an arm, I could lose a leg. I could have a heart transplant hmm? and get a machine. Hmm? So that would lead me to believe that the I that I experience is not a body. It's not a heart. It's not a... I could... It's not a. It's not a brain. Hmm? There's. They're now working on head transplants. I heard. <laughs> so I guess you get another brain, but the same, same eye. Hmm? And then there's. So there's. This is the, the physical. That eye is not related to the physical. Hmm? Um, the physical can change. The eye remains. And then there's the thought world. Besides the physical world, there's the thought world. That thoughts come and thoughts go and thoughts change and and so forth. And the way I think about things change. So the idea is I'm not the body, I'm not the mind. Hmm? You might think, well, I'm the composite of, of all these things connected in a particular way, and then it works, and that way hasn't been found yet. Um, um, so... Uh, so we are of the conviction that there is something called consciousness that, that we are that's ontologically different from things and from thought. Mm-hmm. And um, and this I, this self, is the primary subject of the revelation of the East. And as we are the I that gives meaning to matter and to thought, to body and mind. So there is consciousness behind the entirety of matter. Hmm? So it's like there's, to give another example, there is an individual mind and a universal mind, something like that. Hmm? God, or, you know, use different words and so forth. So this is our uh, conviction, and it's our experience through a particular methodology tied to the revelation. So, um, the idea, the principle of the revelation is that there are things that can't be known other than if they want themselves to be known. 
How's that? Let's say, um, so use the word God. If God wants us to know about himself, we can know otherwise not. Hmm. Let's use another example. I have senses. I have eyes and a nose and ears and a tongue for tasting. I have a tactile sense. And by these senses, I contact forms, sounds, tastes, feelings. Hmm? And in that sense, I know something about what's out there. Right? Hmm? So, however, if my mind is not tied to a particular sense and a particular object it contacts, then to that extent that the mind's not connected, I won't experience it. You follow me? So we're all sitting in the same room. I'm talking. You, you're listening. And sometimes your mind may go somewhere else. Hmm? And so, although you're here, and the sound is coming on your ears, because your mind is not paying attention, you didn't hear that part. And when you go back and talk, I didn't hear that part, <laughs> you might say. Did you say that? I don't believe in that. <laughs> or whatever. So the mind has to line up, in a sense, with the senses as the sense aligns up with the object. Hmm? So I'm giving this as an example. So, so for us to know, in a comprehensive way, the universal mind we have to line up with, something like that. Hmm? Otherwise, we won't know the whole, whole picture. Hmm? Um, so, this is the principle of revelation. Let's look at it like this. We are all in pursuit of perfect knowledge. We may not think of it like that, but we would all like to be perfectly happy. And as much as happiness involves some, some action, doing something, let's say, all action is informed by some type of knowing. So, the idea is that by perfect knowing, perfect knowledge, we can become perfectly happy. Hmm? So, if it is perfect knowledge that we are in pursuit of, then we would need a perfect method to arrive at it, because perfection does not arise out of imperfection. Hmm? So to arrive at perfect knowing, we need a perfect method. Hmm? And the method of objective knowing is limited. I was speaking about the subjective method of knowing is, 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 is limited. So they're not perfect ways of knowing. Hmm? We may know something objectively, and then we may find out it's wrong years later. We may know, for example, as they did centuries ago, that everything orbits around the Earth, only to find out, no, actually, it's going around the sun. Who knows what we'll find out next, next to this regard. Hmm? Maybe that everything's orbiting around an atma, a self, consciousness. Hmm? Makes the world go round. Hmm? Not only is it not something we can dismiss, but it's central to everything. Anyway, that's... Uh, uh, so, by objective knowing and the subjective knowing, in terms of thinking, at least, then um, we may... We can't arrive at perfect, perfect knowledge. So we need a perfect method. So the perfect method 
then this is thought to be the perfect method. You have to fold your hands like this. If you love someone, they will tell you all their secrets. That's a fact. So if we approach being and existence, and this is the Hindu way, like this, right? In a loving way, with gratitude for the sun, for the moon, for the water. It's like in yoga, we have the Surya Namaskar, respect to the sun. And after all, we derive so much from the sun, health, vegetation, rain. It's like a god to us. <laughs> Without the sun, we would cease to be, really. We're dependent upon it. So to show regard for nature, to posit the sun as a god is is not as stupid and crazy of an idea of like someone saying that yeah god like you know the tooth fairy they say you know to say that the sun is god i'm not saying but in a way to show regard for the sun to do the surya namaskar in the morning for example in yoga is not it's not the same thing as saying i believe in santa claus it's a very different idea it's very profound, and what it constitutes is living life with a sense of gratitude hmm, and a respect for nature and a real sense of my dependence upon nature for my being. And I, I see with my eyes, but without sun I can't see. Hmm? So the sun, the moon, the rain, the wind, and so these are prominent manifestations of nature that we're dependent upon. These could just be random movements of material, physical forces, and we're no more than that either. But if so, there's no use talking about it anymore and reasoning about it. There's no place for that. Such reasoning and talk is no more meaningful than than the sounds, well, in the rain, let's say, falling on the roof. Do you understand? Unless there's consciousness, a self, and, it, and, and there's purpose. Consciousness has value, meaning. We posit meaning in matter. We make matter matter. Hmm? That's what a conscious consciousness does. Hmm? You follow? Hmm. So, so when I say perfect way of knowing, and I'm folding my hands like this, and and you think, well, you mean by faith? Faith isn't faith. Is the lack of knowing? You don't know, so you just say faith. No, actually, properly understood, reason is most beautiful and useful when it serves as a um, uh, uh, as a when it when it uh, when it when it serves faith when it serves that means a loving approach to existence because again if you love something someone they'll tell you all their secrets hmm? so uh, to reason about this kind of idea love knows no reason so love transcends reason so reason has a place subordinate to love it's not it's not reasonable that if you give you will receive in terms of like mathematical reasoning or some logic if you give you'll have less if you have 10 you give 5 you have 5 hmm? but our experience in life is that when we do give we actually have more. We don't have something to show, like here it is, but we we are more. And people feel you are more. 
you're a giver. He's more, she's more. Hmm? So this is mystical. This is, and this is the way life actually proceeds. Give and live. By, by giving we grow. By loving we know. There's a, a kind of knowing we can arrive at that, that we couldn't otherwise. Can we put it in words necessarily and, and explain it? Uh, to some extent, but... Hmm. So we talk about the sun as a god or or this aspect of nature as a goddess. Uh, we find this in Hinduism and so on and so forth. Hmm. This is very beautiful, actually. And what it constitutes is, again, approaching reality, existence, hmm, from a loving perspective, that I'm a dependent entity. I, I am uh, dependent on something greater than myself in order to exist and experience even the material bounty of life. Hmm? And so, this, this perfecting this, if you will, this posture, is arguably the way of knowing perfectly. If the greater that we are the part of wants itself to be known, then it can be known. Otherwise, not. Hmm? And some people get a glimpse. They have this approach. They get a glimpse. And then the people think they're a little crazy. It's just like if you, if you went out to your backyard and you saw a flying saucer land there, and you were shocked, and then you ran into the living room to tell everybody else, and by the time they came there, of course, it was gone. And so then they, they go, okay, Susan... Uh, talk to us about it in the morning. I think you need some rest. <laughs> of course, you know you you can't convince anybody. It's gone, but you saw it. So eventually, what you have to do is join a UFO club hmm, of other people who have seen and get some sanity out of it and try to make sense out of it and so forth. So somehow you've seen we're shown something we're shown to you. Hmm? So well, reality uh, is for itself, by itself. It shows itself as it likes, something like that. And the revelation is thought to be a medium through which ultimate reality seeks to share itself through sound. Hmm? Sound. It's a kind of a... The, 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 the Eastern revelation, the Upanishads, are sounds, mantras that are, that are thought to be like mathematics is embedded in nature, something like embedded in nature. And... and um, so there's a whole, if you will, uh, methodology and science in that sense of the term um, of loving, if you will, the art of loving, invoking these sounds and at different times and so on and so forth. This is a whole yogic uh, kind of perspective. So, so the Eastern books of the Revelation, they're full of, in essence, uh, insight about the nature of consciousness, the self. What is the self? Hmm? And, of course, they posit the idea that the self is is different from the physical and different from the mental, as I said. It's a particle, like a spark of consciousness. To give an example, we could say that, that reality, let's say the absolute, the Godhead, is a fire. 
And the fire has the energy of heat and light. The fire has sparks. And the fire also generates smoke. Smoke is very different from fire, but you can't have smoke without fire. Right? Smoke obscures and fire illumines. They're opposites. But smoke comes from a fire. So in this example, matter is like smoke. We are like a spark of the fire. So the spark is like the fire, but it's different too. You can't cook with it. You can't heat yourself with just a spark. Hmm? You can't light up the room. It's similar in essence, but it's different also. In this example, it's quantitatively different. Hmm? So we are like the spark. And the spark could be obscured by the smoke. Hmm? And not have sufficient light to dispel the smoke. You follow? So we are like the spark in this analogy, hmm? and we're our, our luminosity, if you will, and knowing. As luminosity here is synonymous with knowing, like you get the, you know, the light bulb in the head kind of illustration. Hmm? So our luminosity and, and 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 knowing intelligibility is obscured by the smoke of matter. Hmm? Fire makes smoke. So even the spark, being a unit of fire, hmm, is kind of superior to smoke. Smoke doesn't make sparks, but sparks are part of what makes fire. Hmm? So we're a spark of consciousness, but we're obscured by smoke, by matter, even though we give matter meaning. Hmm? Just to give an example... If you have a television and you have the viewer of the television, which is more important? Obviously, the viewer. If the viewer turns on the television, then the television has meaning, right? Power. But it could be that the television could take over the life of the viewer. That's a problem. Hmm. Right? Even though the viewer could get up and walk away and do a million different other things and be on television <laughs> himself, but he could just get glued to the television and, and 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 so so material illusion for the self for the particle of consciousness, spark of consciousness is to be like like having we 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 turn on the world but the world then enamors us so to speak. The movements of the physical world are dependent on consciousness. Hmm? We're the spark that drives it, and it's the smoke. But when we become obscured in the smoke, and we and we think we are the smoke or something like that, and and, and we 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 feel unknowing, somewhat unknowing, like the smoke, right? It has no light, no luminosity. But besides the smoke, besides the spark, there's heat and light, which is the energy of the fire. Heat and light. Heat and light are also one with the fire, but they're also different from the fire. It's like the fire and its energy. It heats and it lights. 
So it has heat and light. They're one and different. Hmm? A fire is heat and light and, and something more than that. It's a fire. Hmm? So in this analogy, heat and light is a, is a, is a particular like power of fire. Spark is also a power of the fire, a lesser power. Smoke is also a power. It has power. It has power to dilute the spark, for example. Hmm? So heat and light are also a power. So in this analogy, the heat and light of the fire are the power by which the Godhead reveals itself hmm? to the spark and dispels the smoke. Hmm? Another name for that power is bhakti. And bhakti, bhakti comes from the Sanskrit root bhaj, it means to give and to receive. It means to love. Hmm? So, by the power of loving, and in that power of loving, there is knowing, luminosity, and which is which is the light, and then there's heat, which then by this I mean feeling. Hmm? So it's a knowing kind of loving, in other words, wise loving, the enlightenment, and the influence of bhakti this shakti, or power, the fire of the Godhead, is such that we come to a knowing hmm, of the difference between myself and matter in an experiential sense. Hmm. A kind of knowing by which I, I know that there's nothing else that needs to be known. Hmm. I can sit and be, hmm, and I know. Everything's all right. Hmm? No anxiety, no fear. If you knew the extent to which you existed, it would be the end of all fear, all anxiety, all. And so much our life is so much anxiety. What will I eat? How will I sleep? How will I appear in the next social event that I go to? And all the <laughs> issues that we're constantly dealing with, and death. Hmm? Well, if these are just the movements of matter, hmm? mental and physical, have nothing to do with me. That kind of knowing, experientially, hmm? a knowing, I know, knowing that I be, that I am. Hmm? I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not Dutch, French, Italian, German, Indian, Catholic, Hindu, Buddhist. A male or female, I am. I'm not this or that, all of which come and go. But I am. Hmm? I am, and I know that I am. And more than being and knowing, I have the capacity to love. Satchit, we say in Sanskrit, ananda, is the nature of the self. Hmm? And so, if we are to exist, in an enduring sense, and know in a comprehensive way. If we are to exist in an enduring sense, then we must exist beyond time and space. Because all things within time and space come and go. And to know that, experientially, is to, is to really know. And then to love in that context. There needs to be kind of a significant consciousness consciousness 
other, if you will. So the fire sends the heat and the light, the essence of which in the Revelation the text is this advocacy of bhakti, of loving, and wisdom of how to love, how to center your loving capacity where it will be most uh, fruitful. If you wanted to water a tree and, and benefit all the parts, where would you pour the water? On the root. You could think, well, I'm pour it on this branch. So we try to love, but we don't always know how or where to repose our love, where it can, it can, it can be, be fully received. And it, like the stomach is, is where we put all the food because the stomach can mystically transform the food in a way that will go everywhere in the body. So this bhakti has, in our example, has heat and light. Light means it's wisdom, knowing. Love is a kind of knowing. So, and heat means feeling, so loving. So wise love, wise love, not unwise love. So this is the heart of the revelation. This is what it speaks about, and this is what it kind of makes available in human society, kind of the art of 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 of, of loving. Hmm? Bhakti. And then there are numerous texts like the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? I should talk about that another night. And its sequel theologically, the Bhagavat, different Upanishads and so on and so forth. So we here as a tradition we draw from these uh, ancient texts and particular ones that, that emphasize bhakti and then we try. We try to um, um, uh, apply ourselves in relation to bhakti in traditional ways, and then we tend to want to think about it in terms of contemporary society and thought and so forth, and and um, make sense out of it ourselves and help to share it with others. That's what we do here in the jungle, <laughs> among, among other things. Any questions? Well, what if you're a person that just doesn't want to know? Well, I think that everybody wants to know on some level. Everybody wants to know on some level. And um, I think that um, that relative to what we do know, um, our pursuit of happiness will be uh, more or less informed and all the flowers in the garden don't blossom at the same time. So um, I think that uh, we, from our perspective, we share with people as much as they have an appetite for. They have no appetite, we talk about something else. <laughs> and uh, that's fine too. There are plenty of things to talk about. And uh, we can talk philosophy, or we can, we can go and grow food out here, as we do, milk our cows, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, um, for us, of course, it's all in the context of bhakti. We, we, we are, we're still sharing. When we do things that everybody else does, we do these things too. We think people do what we're doing here, talking about these things on some other level in some other way. I don't think what I'm talking about is something foreign. I mean, everybody's talking about what's the meaning, what's the purpose to some extent, who should we vote for, 
or what, so on and so forth. Uh, you get a, you, you, people are absorbed in this type of thing on a political level, on a, on basic day-to-day needs level. This is a more abstract, philosophical level, looking at it, trying to look at it more comprehensively. So, yes. Is the spark of consciousness um, given by God, or is it part of God, or is that the same? Yeah, no, we, we, we say that the Upanishads teach that whatever exists will always exist. Whatever doesn't exist will never exist. So, in our perspective, the God, it is kind of the composite. I gave the example of the fire. The God, it, the fire is all of those things. Hmm? Now, the smoke is also the fire. The spark is also the fire. Hmm? So, um, God's dynamic. Hmm. Uh, so the different uh, the smoke would be like the subconsciousness of God, something like that. Um, we're we're God is the fire, we're the spark. So there's possibility of rapport between the spark and the fire, its its source, something like that. So we are part of God. Hmm. We're part of something, that's for sure. <laughs> you can say it's part of, part of the whole. Now the trick is this. I'm sure this little iPad here is made up of all kinds of different parts, right? Inside of it, right? All kinds of little parts. So if we were to take one out and put it on the floor and then move the iPad over here and now nobody knows where it came from we find this little part, what to do with it? What is it? Maybe it's a little screw or something. Well, we could use it like this. We make something out of it, right? But if we could connect it with here, boom, all of a sudden, ah, look, I can talk to people all over the world. So the trick is, yes, that we're the part of God, the spark is the, part, spark is the part, but we're in the smoke right now. We're not aware of that, or what that means. Even I could talk about it, we can theoretically kind of get a handle on it, but now to to really connect ourselves to the whole, then then we really illumine as much as we we can, so we can enter the fire, so to speak, as a spark. So, yeah, a spark is not something that's created. Let's look at it like this. People say, I don't believe in the soul. It's okay, it's fine. But you can't say, I don't believe in consciousness. <laughs> you can't say that. It takes consciousness to say that. So it doesn't really mean... I don't believe... It's like saying, I'm dead. You can say it, but it doesn't have any meaning. You have to be alive to say that you're dead. So you can say, I don't believe in consciousness. Oh. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. Now you can define what consciousness is. We can define it in different ways, perhaps. It's very difficult to define. Because we define, we tend to define things by comparing them to other things. There's no thing that's compared to consciousness. It's not like anything. It's not a thing. It's not this and it's not that. Hmm? Um, Very peculiar, very curious. And we are of that that nature. Hmm? So so anyway, there's an art, if you will, yoga of connecting the part with the whole. But um, um, if I was to say to you, what 
is it in this world that is most like God? Hmm? We would say it's you, as a particle of consciousness, are most like God. But you're quite different from God, and that the, the God of the whole is not illusioned, like you, that like spark could be. Does that help? Yes. Hmm? So, so consciousness isn't created at some time. It's not like something that <sighs> breathed it into you know into the humans only. They got this. When I was a kid, as a Catholic, I used to think of the soul as like this glowing thing in here. And if you, if you ate meat on Friday, it got a spark, got a mark on it, you know, something like that. It was <laughs> so. It, you know, when you're speaking, we're speaking about the self consciousness. We're talking about something that's always existed that will never not exist, and it's um, part of the whole of the God who is greater than the parts at the same time. This is a pan-entheistic perspective. Pan, not pantheistic, not theistic, but pan-entheistic. It's kind of the best of both. So there's a Godhead, and then the world is God, and God is beyond the world at the same time. Something like that. Yes? How do we get out of the smoke I smell? <laughs> how, do we, where, how do we get rid of it? Smoke. Well, I mean, but when you said, you know, we're, we're under the smoke, so... Uh-huh. How do we get? Well, the good thing at least is to talk about it like this. And if we come to the conclusion, if we we resonate with that, that makes sense to us. To think, yeah, I think I'm going to smoke. <laughs> then, yeah, then that's the beginning. And, and so then there 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 are ways. The ways are transrational. That means they're not irrational, but they pick up where reason leaves off. Reason is a limited uh, instrument for knowing. Hmm? And so we need a transrational method of knowing. Chanting, for example, is transrational. It's not irrational, but it's not a rational exercise. It's kind of a heart exercise. So, um, you know, yoga. We do. We we are involved in bhakti yoga, the yoga of love and devotion. So it's a whole art. Many parts to it, and it's lifestyle. We sit. And our ability to sit and meditate and go within an experience is, is dependent upon how we walk and how we interact. So it's not that we sit one way and then we walk another way. So both, both things have to be integrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we've talked for a long time. I appreciate your patience. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Go back to Bindaki, Jai. Go Premam, Jai.